All right. And I've got a clicker. Um, okay. So uh, we're going through the book. You got a picture of it up there? Jesus is the question. Uh, you would think again that the answers Jesus gives to the questions would have been the last chapter in the book, but it wasn't. There's like three others. So uh, again, uh, no, no awards for editing, uh, but man, good book. Well, well worth your read. And today is um, like maybe the question that Jesus asks, right? So one of the things that I want you to take away from this series is learning to ask more questions. And today I want to start by saying something like, human beings are little judgment-making machines that we can't stop ourselves from judging ourselves and other people. I have a label-making machine. You know, when you go to the store, like, you label. I have it in my head. I'm perpetually labeling things, people, right? I only need to know you five seconds. I, oh, yes, 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 you're a jock. Oh, yes, yes, you're this, you're that, you're a Republican. You're... We do it all the time, right? The challenge that Jesus gives, since Jesus uh, asks so many questions and answers so few directly, is what if we slowed down enough to replace the labels or the judgments we make with questions. So like the challenge is, what if instead of being annoyed at the person at the grocery store who can't get me checked out in a reasonable amount of time, what if instead I asked questions like, I wonder what her life is like at home? Or I wonder what she's had to endure today? Or I wonder how many customers have complained? I w Do you see like you, you replace a judgment with a question, it's like, like get curious. That cracks me enough to let grace in, to let patience in, to let love in. Like, I wonder what they've had to go through. Uh, again, I've mentioned my relationship with my dad, which was tense, but it wasn't until I started to realize, like, I wonder what his childhood was like, which it was terrible, and he had no father figure. And his mom, single mom, sent him to boarding school, and he felt rejected much of his life. Well, no wonder he had a hard time expressing love. But if I only sense that my dad is inadequate, if that's, all, if that's the only judgment I have and I never ask a question, then there's no room for grace to replace my label or my judgment. But it's true for the way I talk to myself. So like I, can, I judge myself, I have a lot of negative self-talk, I can feel guilt or shame, but, it, but I rarely ever stop to ask, like, why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep saying those things about yourself? Why do you, like if I stopped to ask a question, if I got curious, I think there would be a lot more healing, a lot more growth. Like if I just sat in those questions, I think maybe I, there would be space for God to show up or for God's voice to show up. So the art of practicing questions, asking questions, is profound, I think, in every area of our lives. So I don't want you to lose sight of that. But we're going to look at one one question in particular today. Well, actually, that's not true, too. The reading comes from Matthew 16. I, think, I believe the words, will, the words will be on the screen there. S Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. 
What about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? I picture here a very awkward silence. So the way I picture this is like, who do people say I am? And the disciples are like, ooh, 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 me, me, Elijah, a prophet, or whatever. And then Jesus says, okay, well, who do you say I am? And then I picture like, mm, right? Like it's record screech. Who do I say? Oh, fortunately we have Peter, who I don't think did well with awkward silences. He often fills them. So Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Whew. I get emotional in part because I know Peter's story as you do. Uh, two, two, two verses later, Jesus says, you know, I have to go suffer. You were right, Peter. I'm the Son of God, and uh, I'm the Messiah. I've got to go suffer now. But he says, no, surely not you, Lord. You don't have to suffer. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> right? Don't tempt me. I don't want to die, but I have to, right? I have to suffer. And so the, the idea that Peter, the guy that denies Jesus three times, Peter, the guy that one minute is walking on water, and the next minute he's sinking like a stone, that's the rock that Jesus builds the church on. Well, that makes me feel okay being up here talking to you. Because if Peter were perfect and that's what it required to be the rock, or if any of the disciples or David or Moses, if, if God used perfect people, I'd feel totally inept. But it feels pretty good that God can use each of us, right? So I want to look at the first question. Who do people say I am? This is an easy question. I'm going to turn my clicker on now, Amanda, here. This is an easy question. It's easy because you can answer it without any risk. A social scientist can answer this question. Who do people say Jesus is? Well, I don't know. Let's go do an interview. Uh, I say he's Elijah. Jesus seems like a really nice moral teacher. Jesus is a pretty cool dude or whatever. Jesus is terrible. Uh, Jesus is deceptive. Jesus is a false messiah. You can just interview people. You can just gather data. And you can answer the question, who do people say that Jesus is? That is like looking at Jesus like an object. It's very objective. It's not personal. It doesn't deal with your own thoughts or beliefs. You're just asking, what do people think? Right? Uh, I have some uh, examples, actually, from the text. Some of the things people say Jesus is. Karl Rahner, famous Catholic theologian, Jesus is a perfected human person. John Robinson, uh, another theologian, Jesus is the human face of God. Bonhoeffer, Jesus was the man for others. Many liberation theologians, Jesus is the great liberator, the one who sets us free. Jürgen Moltmann, Jesus is the crucified God. The author, Martin Copenhaver, his daughter, Jesus is God's best friend. I think she was six or seven. We can answer the question, who do people say Jesus is, relatively easily, right? Sometimes it almost feels like... Um, <laughs> Like, who do people say Jesus is? I picture it like a boxing match. 
And in one corner, weighing 170 pounds, it's the Prince of Peace. It's the Lord of Lords. It's the Lamb of God, Jesus, or whatever, right? <laughs> like, we have all of these descriptors. I mean, it just feels like a, like a boxer, right? Like, that's how it, King of Sting or something. But that doesn't get to the heart of the matter. And so... Jesus asks, what do people say? And all of the things they say, whether it's Elijah or a prophet, these are all, like John the Baptist, these are all folks that prepared the way for the Lord, but they weren't the Lord, right? There's a big difference. So people thought Jesus as being a prophet. Again, a strong moral teacher, someone preparing the way for the Lord. But then when Jesus says, but who do you say? And this is, he looks in each one of our eyes, my eyes, your eyes, and he says, who do you say that I am? Ooh, that's harder. I can tell you what the Bible says. I can tell you what Peter said. What does Joe say? What do you say? This now is not an objective truth. This is not something a social scientist can get at. This is a subjective truth. It's personal. It's intimate. It's about your relationship with Jesus or your thoughts about Jesus. This is something that you have to wrestle with. And since it deals with the subject, you and me, it's subjective. It costs you something. And Peter's answer is so risky. I, I can't convey this enough. When Peter says, no, I say, Jesus, that you are the Messiah. You are God-made flesh. If Peter's right... It changes everything. The whole world gets flipped upside down. This is now the Messiah. I am, I am here to essentially worship, love, serve, and follow this person. And you're probably going to get killed for that. Right? Because to almost every other ear, this is heresy. This is blasphemy. If Peter says that and he's wrong... He's wrong, and he'll probably get killed for it. I mean, this is like a huge risk to utter these words. But in doing it, of course, Jesus recognizes, he says, Peter, son of Jonah. And this is where, I mean, essentially, um, when he references Peter as Simon, he is referencing this honorable man who will become the rock that the church is built on. Right? You see me. Jesus is basically, you see me, Peter, you understand. But who do you say Jesus is? So that's, that's the challenge, and I want you to be thinking about that. Growing up, growing up, I was given a structure for this. And I don't know if you've ever heard this structure. Uh, Lord, liar, lunatic. Have you heard this? Never. Oh. Okay, uh, it's drafted in part from something C.S. Lewis wrote. So uh, this comes from C.S. Lewis. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, he would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet 
and call him Lord. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Um, so here's the logic of this. And you're not going to be able to see this, I don't think. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have a laser. Oh, it doesn't show up on the screen, though. How weird is that? That is super weird. Uh, oh. Barely. <laughs> but look, like, look at it up here. Ah! I'm going to see if I can see it down here. Um, well, all right. The top claim, top middle, it says Jesus claims to be God. Right? Jesus makes claims like, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah. On the left, Jesus' claims are true, and Jesus is God. On the right, Jesus claims to be God, and Jesus claims is false. Either Jesus knew these claims were false, and he was a charlatan, a liar, or on the far right, Jesus knew, or Jesus did not know that his claims were false and he was crazy. So you have three choices. Jesus says, I'm God, and it's true, he's Lord. Or Jesus claims to be God knowing it's not true and is a liar. Or Jesus claims to be God and was simply wrong about it, and then he's a lunatic. Lord, liar, lunatic. Does that make some sense to you? Um, and then one strategy is to say, well, no one would lie all the way to being tortured to death and humiliated. So he couldn't be a liar. Uh, and then you, people give all kinds of reasons why Jesus wasn't crazy. And you say, well, that leaves one option. And it's something like Jesus is Lord. So as much as I don't want to say the next thing I'm going to say, because... For many people, it's like, yes, Joe proved it. We knew it. Jesus was Lord all along. Um, I don't really love this model. Like, I don't, I don't love this way of coming at the question. For some people, it can be very helpful, right? It lays out various options regarding Jesus and how we connect to Jesus. But this is still incredibly impersonal. This is like some logical formula or argument to try to convince you or someone else that Jesus is the real deal. That has nothing to do with a change of your actual heart or your mind or your soul. So it's answering it this way still doesn't answer the question, who do you say Jesus is? How, do you, how, how does Jesus inform your living, <laughs> your acting, your speaking? This doesn't help. And I'm not even sure it's adequate because it's more complicated than this, right? I mean, isn't it possible, since Jesus never wrote anything down, never, not one thing, most of what was written about Jesus is at earliest 60 years after he was dead. It would be like someone just now writing down the stuff that Martin Luther King Jr. said with no document, no video. It would be pretty tough. So there are lots of biblical scholars who believe that Jesus never claimed to be, to be God, that in fact those words were put in his mouth later. But in fact he was just a really amazing prophet testifying to God and not divine. I'm, that's not my view, by the way. I don't hold that view. It's reasonable. 
There's more than these three. There's like a fourth option. There's a fifth option. I mean, does Jesus really have to be crazy to just get it wrong? Like Jesus was super connected to the Spirit, called by God, feet put on a path, and he just didn't, you know, but wasn't divine. I mean, that seems like a, like a legitimate option. It's possible. There's like 20 different options for how we might think of Jesus, Jesus' teachings, Jesus' life. So as much as I just want to throw three up there and say, choose one of the three, it doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. That's not life. If you want to engage in a relationship with Jesus, it's going to be really personal. And it's going to be really, really messy. And I think it might just be the best thing you could ever do. So some of you are in the room today right now. And you're not sure what to make of Jesus. Like, if you're here, you probably think his life and teachings are inspirational. You think he's a wonderful moral teacher. You think he represented God well. Right? That's why you're here. But you're not so sure about the supernatural stuff. You're not so sure about the divine stuff or the resurrection stuff. And let me tell you that I, I resonate with that view. <laughs> Um, if you catch me on bad days, I think to myself, like, I, I get it. So if you're someone who isn't quite sure what to make of Jesus, you're still figuring it out, call us, there's a place for you. You're welcome here. I'd hate for you to do your wrestling alone. Like you're going to figure this out in a room somewhere by yourself. Better to do it in community. Part of it is I believe that if you keep showing up here, the work of God will be made evident in this community. You will see Jesus at work, and that will convince you. But if you're not sure, if you have doubt, if Jesus is enough for you to show up here on Sunday, church is a nice moral community where you like the values, this is your place. But I'm going to be honest with you. I hope over time I can convince you that Jesus is more than that. I hope I can convince you that Jesus is God made flesh. That there's something uniquely divine about what Jesus says and how Jesus lives. I want to read uh, Copenhaver's response to this question. This was his last sermon that he gave at one of his churches. So he's sort of like transitioning to a new congregation and he sort of ends his time here talking about Jesus. And so this is what he writes. As I am about to leave, there is something I want to tell you. I want to tell you what Jesus means to me. I want to share my belief that everything depends on him. I want to urge you to, lean, to learn from him. I want to assure you that you can lean on him in times of trouble. I want to ask you to listen to his words of challenge. I want to tell you that I believe that you can entrust your life to him. I want to affirm that he is Lord of this church and that in his name you are free to love one another and empowered to share that love with a hurting world. I want to profess that though once people could not look at the face of God and live, now we are invited to look at the face of God in Him, in Jesus, and live like we never have before. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. 
God with us all, wherever we are together or apart, that's what it's all about. That's all I know so far. Amen. Afterwards, a woman come up to shake his hand, but she was emotional. Like He talks about his tradition, like very oddly emotional, right? Like we don't do emotion in this denomination, whatever. So she went to the back of the line as they left. But when she eventually composed herself, she just asked a question. She said, why didn't you tell us this sooner? So then I thought, well, maybe you want to hear from me then. So I'll tell you. I'll try to answer the question from my perspective. Who, does, who do I say Jesus is? I wanted to write this down. Like I tried to formalize it so that I would like keep my thoughts straight. And I just could never do it. Isn't that weird? Like I write all the time. I write stuff out all the time. And it just the clicker was just clicking at me, just flashing, right? So I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll just, I'm going to speak extemporaneously from my heart. For me, Jesus is the person for whom I cannot make sense of the world without. I don't know how to make sense of this world without Jesus. Every way of structuring reality, relationships, power, ethics, love, like all the alternatives that are presented to me do not work, have not worked. I see no evidence of them working. And then here comes Jesus, who not only teaches a different way, but lives a radically different way. And suddenly, as irrational as it is, when I live it, even when I approximate the way Jesus loves, things click into place and the truth is not in my thoughts. The truth is not in some formula. The truth is when I live it, nothing seems more real to me. Nothing seems more true to me than selfless love. Than power not demonstrated by dominance or wealth or control, but power as demonstrated on the cross. A power that can absorb evil and violence and death and not pay it forward. That makes sense of the world to me. There is no form of violence that gets rid of violence. There is not enough money to make things right. There is not enough justice or retribution to bring loved ones back. It doesn't work. I don't know how to make sense of the world except I ought to love and forgive the people who harm me. I ought to extend grace even when it is unmerited to myself as well as others. It is an upside-down kingdom that Jesus proclaims that when you look at it, when you listen to it, you think this does not resonate with my shallow nature that is about self-preservation and survival and safety and comfort. Those are the things I want on the surface. I want sex. I want fame. I want attention. That's what I want. But each of those roads, if you pursue it, if that's what you worship, it's a dead end. It pays off maybe in the short term, never in the long term. So then you're left wanting. But then there's this deep part of me, this deep nature that is inside of me that is only fulfilled when I listen and follow the teachings of Jesus. When I really learn how to have deep love, respect, and relationship with other people. When I learn how to let go of control and self-preservation and survival. 
when I stop fearing death and others and retribution. But do you see how weird that is? To go against every one of your biological instincts and to do something different and to find that that actually satisfies and fulfills, that like put my feet on a path, gave my life purpose, showed me what it means to be really human, like fully human. And so I don't know how to make sense of the world. I don't know how to make sense of my life. I wouldn't know what to do. And so, for those who don't know what to make of Jesus, or maybe you're, this is like something you're going to wrestle with for a while, that's good. I hope you wrestle with it. But I promise you, you will never, ever answer these questions intellectually, thinking about it alone. The, the questions you most want answered will only be answered in the living, in the following, in the serving, in the loving. That's what will reveal what is ultimately true and good and beautiful and right. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, I pray, and I think we need you to encounter us. We need an encounter with you, not, not a thought, not a theology, not a structure, not a set of answers. We need you to encounter the living God, the living Christ in our lives and in our hearts in a powerfully personal, subjective way. That's my prayer for myself and everyone here, that that those encounters with you would convince us, would set our foot on a path where we would know what is ultimately true and good and right. And we can't think our way to this. We need you. We need you to encounter us. We need to experience more of your love and more of your grace. And so that's our prayer, Lord, is that your spirit be poured out on this community, the individuals here in a powerful way. Because we, we simply can't get there on our own. We're going to need more of you. Amen. Please stand for our closing song.